0: It's one thing when you're trying to pick out what kind of you know diaper to use. It's another thing when you're like, how do I create a child or a person that becomes happy and fulfilled in life?
1: Resetters, Dr. Mindy here, and I am on a mission to teach you just how powerful your body was built to be. This podcast is about giving you the power back and helping you believe in yourself again. Let's jump in. On this episode of The Resetter Podcast, I bring you Megan Riley. Megan is the host of an incredible podcast called Who's Your Mama podcast, where she interviews mothers and has them talk about their children. Specifically, she's been started off interviewing celebrities, moms, uh, successful people who have been wildly successful in life. As you'll hear, she has interviewed several athletes, professional athletes. And so I really wanted to bring her on to understand what that connection was. What was that family connection that caused humans of all backgrounds to have these incredible lives because so much of who we are starts with the family unit and how we were raised. The other part that I really wanted to have discussion I wanted to have with Megan was built around our aging parents. Now, I don't know about you all, but if uh, you know you're of a similar time of life as me, I'm 52 years old. I've got kids that are leaving the house, and I have parents that are in their eight, their 80s that are aging. And you know, both of these uh, relationships are really important to me. And that is what Megan's doing is she's going in and interviewing people's aging parents and having them tell the stories of the generations and what it was like to be them when they were younger, what it was like to raise their kids. And it's a gift to give the whole family. Now, why this is important to my podcast is you'll hear here in the beginning that what I'm starting to understand about health, we can talk about fasting, we can talk about insulin resistance, we can talk about food, and all of those are important. But our relationships with our loved ones has a massive impact on not just our health, but our happiness. And I think you will hear in this conversation some real gems on where we can bring back and prioritize our closest relationships so that we can live really the happiest life possible. So we talk about everything from what she's learned from celebrities, parents, to what she's learning from talking to aging parents, um, to how do we prioritize these relationships so that everybody wins. And it's, it was a really rich discussion. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Again, I took a different twist for you all because health, it, it, health has many aspects to it and relationships are one of them. So uh, listen all the way through. The last thing I'm going to tell you is her gratitude practice is amazing. So make sure you stay all the way through. Megan Riley, prioritizing family so that you can be healthy and happy. And I hope you enjoy it, as always, as much as I enjoyed talking with Megan. I'm curious if you know this study, it was one that I actually put in the new book that I'm writing and it's the longest study ever done on health and happiness. And it was an 80 year study done out of Harvard following, I believe they followed about 50 men, but then they followed their grandchildren as well over 80 years to see what was the number one predictor of health and happiness as you age. Are you familiar with this study? I'm not, but
0: I'm intrigued and hanging on every word now.
1: Yeah, there's a, he actually has a TED Talk, the lead of the re, of the study, because they did it for 80 years. And people actually, you know, in the study, like, of course, people died. Um, they didn't say who, but they said that um, one of a couple of presidents were in the study because the study was started in 1930 with the graduates of Harvard or that they were seniors at Harvard. So, again, they didn't wow. say who they were, but they followed these men and their grandchildren for 80 years. And here's what they found. The number one predictor of both health and happiness was the quality, quality of your closest relationships. So if you had good relationships with a spouse, if you had good relationships with family or friends, if you had these intimate relationships that you put energy into, it actually made you live longer, made you on, have less medications, less diseases, and you were happier. Wow,
0: crazy, uh, right? That's, that's unbelievable. And it also totally supports what I have seen and what I have experienced. And uh, but it's also interesting. Like I, I have not heard that. It's fascinating. But you think about the power and the energy you get from those healthy relationships. I mean, there's right. it's like a snowball effect when you have those kind of healthy, strong communicative, uh, relationships with people. It's, it's so powerful in someone's life. That's interesting.
1: And the other part of that, that I want to point out because is that we don't look at these relationships as being a health habit. And that is what like blows me away is, you know, I'm in Silicon Valley where people are working, you know, I don't even like 70, 80 hours a week and work and life is just all, you know, one big thing. And I also have found myself over the years, you know, with my closest friends and my parents, including, which I want to get into the power of what you're doing with uh, aging parents. But I forget that to stop and realize that just as important as working out is tending to these relationships. So I'm curious what you've, let's start with the podcast. And um, just so my audience knows, you've interviewed some really cool moms of of pretty influential people. So I want to start off with that mother relationship. And that's a complicated one. What have you learned from talking to all these moms of famous people?
0: It has been such a masterclass in parenting. Um, and I will tell you, one of the focuses for me has been talking to, I wanted to seek out moms who've raised people that I see to be happy, fulfilled. Um, a lot of them have been famous because it's a little more interesting and everybody kind of starts on the same page. But yeah. I've also enter, you know, I've also interviewed people that aren't famous and it's the same story as the moms who have well known children. And what I see time and time again is it is about um supporting the child for who they are exactly mm-hmm. as they are, you know, not putting exactly. on, this is who I, you know, I want you to like the sport. Cause I was good at the sport. It's, it's seeing your child for who they are loving them like crazy. You know, that, that just that love, you know, many moms were just like, I just loved him. I didn't always know what I was doing. I didn't yep. really know how, you know, the, the ins and outs the nuts and bolts. I didn't always get those right, but I love them. Yep. Um, and then enabling them to, to, you know, one of the moms talked about champion, championing her son's abilities. And it's mm-hmm. like, you, you, you love them for who they are. You don't try to change them. And then you just enable them, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it's kind of like amplifying who they already are. So, yep. you know, they are still the, the child is still doing that work, but those are, those are some of the key factors. I continue to see time. You know, I've interviewed probably now maybe around 40 parents, um, but for the the podcast specifically like a Colin O'Brady who he's had all these world records he you know climbs mountains like Mount Everest like you know regularly and he's an incredible person he's a great book Jesse Itzler Sarah Blakely Kyler Murray you know so NFL people world record holders billionaires who create an a, um, incredible brand all of them they've all said some version of of those common threads. And, um, yeah, it's been really interesting and it's impacted me as a mom myself. That's how I started this whole journey was I'm raising three little girls and I'm like, I want to do, I want to understand how you, it's one thing when you're trying to pick out what kind of, you know, diaper to use. It's another thing when you're like, how do I create a child or a person that becomes happy and fulfilled in life and healthy in life? Like that's a different, That's a different journey than just, you know, things I can find on Google. And so I wanted to have these conversations with the people that have done it, that I can look at the child and say, your child's 50 and happy and fulfilled and loves you still. And to your point about that, the, um, the study is also all the parents that I've interviewed for the podcast. They still have a very close relationship with their kids. You know, it wasn't like I raised them, but that was, and I didn't seek that out, but it's been an outcome that I've noticed like, oh, they all still are very close and whether it's weekly meals or, you know, trips together or whatever, they're all still very close. So that supports that, that study as well.
1: Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, my kids are 22 and 19 and we're just sort of having this experience where you are like observing your work. <laughs> I don't know another way to say that. Yes. That's such a good I'm way like, of saying oh, it. Uh-huh. see how my, my, you know, pet project has worked. <laughs> is working out. Will they fly? (laughs) Is this going to, what is going to happen here? Right. Did I, did I totally mess up? And (laughs) I would say that I, um, we had, my husband and I had a very similar philosophy to, to parenting, which was, I'm not looking to, to parent kids to fit in. I'm looking to parent kids, not necessarily to stand out, but in a world where everybody is trying to fit in how do I help my kids be their authentic versions of themselves? And a great example that I'll use is that my daughter was super theatrical. And I was like a little tomboy that just wanted to play sports all the time. So I thought I would be the parent that had like a pack of boys. And instead, I got the first one out of the gate was a girl. And not only was she a girl, but she was this prissy girl. And so, or like a a really, you know, wanted to dress up all the time. So she got really attached to her aerial wig that she wore uh, for Halloween and wanted to wear it everywhere and including the supermarket. And I would be in the car trying to tell her, like, you got to take it off. It's dirty. It's red. And she's like, nope. And so it was really interesting as a parent to realize, oh, my gosh, that's my stuff. I'm feeling self-conscious to walk into the store with my four-year-old with this long, bright aerial wig on. It's really hard as the parent to not control those moments, but what a benefit down the road.
0: It is uh, that exact story. It is a perfect example. It is a perfect example because I had a, another mom whose daughter is Shaleen Johnson's who who she is. Um yeah, she, I know who she is. Yeah. So yeah. I interviewed her mom and and her mom talked almost the whole time about confidence, building her confidence, mm. you know, and she was like, I let my kids wear whatever they wanted to. It was yeah. their expression. And and another mom, Chad Wright's mom, she said, as long I would let them do anything to for self-expression, as long as it wasn't gonna hurt them or anybody else. Yeah, And yep. I thought to myself, but honestly, I was like you, Dr. Mindy, where I was like, really though, like, are we really going to go into the store with the, you know, with, yeah. with the high heels and the knee socks and the wig and the princess outfit? Are yes. we really going to do that? like, I, it's been a lesson for me. Cause I'm like, yeah. I don't know. but then I, when I soon to your point, as soon as I was like, oh, that's my stuff, that's my, mm-hmm. you know, they are good with it. And what's more, what's more empowering for your child to feel confident yeah. or to feel like they're falling. Like I, I would always choose them to feel confident, right. And to feel empowered over. Okay. Not. I mean that over what, like, what, what is right. my big concern? So, uh, but that, I think that that story that you shared is one that's so relatable for so many parents, but it also translates. Like there's a version of that with a 14 year old. And there's a version of that with a 20 yes. year old, you know, and you, I've also learned that parents like, you're never done. You're never like, Oh, no. i am done, you know, so Sheesh. they, Yeah. There's different versions of that as, and that evolves as the kids get older. And I've heard that from the parents too, because I've interviewed, you know, 80, 90 year olds of of kind of their journey of this. And, you know, they're like, it's still hard when your child has children of their own, then you, you're still doing the same things that you did when they were kids. So these lessons continue to show up in our lives time and time again.
1: Yeah, it it's so true. And I will tell you that one one thing I've learned having a parenting philosophy of like, okay, all I care about, I actually we we felt like there were two things that were really important to us. One was that our kids find their own way, and the other one was that you're a compassionate. A uh, uh, human that you that you show up in a compassionate, loving way that contributes to the world, not takes from the world, and so those were kind of the two themes that continued all the way through. So our daughter's twenty two, and she got into college, and it was not for her because the way education is now is it's very like here's a bunch of information. You know, learn it and then regurgitate it back, and that was so not her. So, she bumped around college a little bit until we finally were like, This is not your path, it's okay if it's not your path. And what she's doing now is she's a farrier where she takes uh, is shoeing horses, she has a passion for horses. And I told her the other day, I tell you all that to say, I told her the other day, I said, I want you to remember that anytime you try to fit your life into society's mold, you're going to be unhappy. And every time you go in your own lane, you're going to be, and I'm, you're going to thrive. And I've seen that since the day you were born. And it was like a really cool moment. She's like, thank you for that reminder. So I do think the, the, the threads of parenting philosophy that we were raised in show up for us in our adult years. And I, is that kind of what you, what you saw as the people who they were as adults, really what it was impacted by the philosophy of the parent apps. So it's been
0: really interesting. Yes. I mean, there is, um, there is certainly part of it where they come to us as they are like your daughter was never going to want to be the sports girl that was, you know, like, and you saw that, right. You see that yeah. pretty, as much as you're like, no, no, no. Where'd you come from? How'd that happen? I don't know. Like, what, what are we doing? Are we going to a basketball game? But that was who she was going to be. But then I've also seen with, with these interviews that the, the environment does play into who they are. For example, Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx created this billion dollar brand out of nothing, right? Zero. She, she started it from nothing. Yeah. Well, I talked to her mom and she, one of the things she said, it was so brilliant. And actually got picked up by a lot of different news stations and articles and all this is she said, you know, Sarah would come to me, Sarah and Ford would come to me and they'd say they were bored. And I would say, you've got toys, go figure it out. And, yeah, and then Sarah became an inventor of one of right. the, the greatest inventions of our generation, honestly, like the most impactful one. I mean, for a billion dollar brand, like right that's a pretty significant invention. Also her brother Ford, started a company that he ended up selling for like $40 million. Also, like they both have become inventive and in taking initiative. And, and does that happen if they came from a house that, that always, um, catered to their needs and gave them things to do all the time and they were in camps and they did, and they never had any blank space to just mess around just to try things. And so Sarah's mom talked about, she listed on the podcast, several different things Sarah did. She'd go sell paintings to neighbors that she drew in her. She'd take her little red wagon and go sell paintings. She started like a babysitting thing at a local hotel. The hotel didn't even know it, but she was like, I just could go in there. They'd let me go. And I just take people, you know, people, I mean, one thing after another. And it was, it was a combination of like, of course, there are things that are natural to who Sarah is natural to who your daughter is natural to all of us. But then that environment, the things that those parents really care about and the way that you're raised can really back to amplifying. It could amplify even more who they are and what they're doing. And it sounds like that's what you're seeing in your child. Like those things that you guys really cared about are coming out even more in your kids. So, you know, which would have been different if they were raised in a different household. So it's been important for me to see, understand like honor who your child is, but then also know you make an impact and the things that you care about will come out in their life and could really serve them in a great way. Uh, when that's coming from that place of love and consistency.
1: Have you, uh, read may Musk's, autobiography? I have not. Elon Musk's mom. I have not. No, but she is on my list. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I don't have a connection for you, yes. but she, yes. you, you, uh, but she pr- pr- pretty much said the same thing that, that her kids were, when they were bored, she would say, I don't, you know, that's your problem, not mine, figure out what to do. And then look at Elon Musk, you know? So yeah. it is really interesting. The other, the other flip side of that, and this ties into the health and happiness study, is then you know as we get older, we sort of that relationship really shifts. And I will tell you, I'm seeing that in in my own life with my kids. I'm seeing it with my parents. Like you know, a lot of my audience is are are, they're around my age, and Mm -hmm. we're in this really unique time where our kids are are grown up and out of the house, and our parents are aging. And actually have a little bit become like our kids now. Like my husband and I are trying as empty nesters sort of thinking about, well, what do we want to do in this next journey of our lives? And then I go, oh my gosh, wait, I can't go far. I have an 86-year-old dad and an 82-year-old mom, and they, I need to be close to them because they're aging. What I know you're the the new version of your work that Jesse's thrown you into is um, the legacy work and interviewing parents as they age. Talk a little bit about that, because I think there's some gems there for us to also understand the power of these relationships.
0: It is. And, you know, what I've noticed and what I've noticed from my podcast, but then as I'm doing these legacy interviews also, is that. Nobody's really asking these questions. No one's having these conversations, and our family, you know, whether regardless of their age, they have they have your stories, they have your they have your history. They know all of this, and maybe some pieces, kind of, you know, maybe it's a little Swiss cheese here and there. It's like, what was that pie? I don't remember that. Maybe, but also there are there are gems within your family members, and it's about uncovering those having those conversations. What did your parents? think about as they're raising you, what did they really Mm. care about? You know, what were they Mm. focused on? What did they worry about? What did they love? These are the kinds of questions that I I do during these legacy interviews. And what I've, I'll tell you that the podcast, I didn't know this separate outcome of the podcast was going to be this treasure for the families. I, um, Jay Williams, he's on ESPN. He played for the bulls and Duke, and he's just awesome. He, I interviewed his mom for the podcast and he called me afterwards. And he was like, Megan, I've never heard my mom talk about these things. I never wow. have heard her. This is such a gift for our family. I, I never asked these questions. I never thought of asking these questions. Thank you. Like this means so much. And that was early on. And I was like, oh yeah. Like that is, that is a gift because
1: yeah.
0: it hasn't, these questions haven't been asked. Yes. And, um, and it's for me, it's so awesome. The other part of it that I love is we're giving a spotlight to these legends in our family who have done it. You know, if you have a close relationship with your parents and you are an adult, your parents win. Like they win the lottery of being awesome parents. Like, and that's what those of us that are parents, like that's what I hope that when my kids are 40, they want to talk to me and hang out with me. And and I do with my mom. You know, it sounds like you know, you're you you are thinking of your parents right now because you care for them. And that's part of who they raised you to be, even though you are grown and you have your own grown children, like that still goes back to your parents in a way. And Mm -hmm. how they raised you. And so so it's really about what I love. The legacy interviews are about honoring your family and honoring your history and then pulling some of these facts out. Because how cool would it be if you could hear your grandmother talk about your mom? How cool would it be to hear like- That
1: would be really cool.
0: You know, like, oh, well, when she was little, she did this. And then what if that's what you did too? Like, it's just, it's, it's these magical like treasures that are buried that don't normally get uncovered. And I have absolutely loved- doing these interviews and even the ones that are not for my podcast that are just for these families. It's so cool. Cause you hear these things yeah. come out and you're like, this is going to be so cool for their family forever. And it's priceless. It is priceless. Amazing. And yeah. And, and it's really honestly celebrating those relationships and celebrating the people in your life that have been there all along the way. And, um, and I love, I love getting to honor that and celebrate that.
1: And and I think understanding the qualities that got handed down to you that make you an awesome person, like to the example you were using, like I don't think we give enough credit to uh our the environment and the people that raised us. And I know some people listening to this are probably maybe had horrible upbringings. But there's always a, a thread, a, a gem in there that made you who you are today. Mm-hmm. So what I'm kind of curious, what kind of questions are you asking the uh, leg on the legacy interviews? And honestly, I want to have you do both my parents and my husband's parents. I I yes. told my husband about what you were doing for Jesse's group, and he's like, "Oh my God, we need to do that." And but yeah, wait, yes. Megan, wait till you meet my my parents. Like they'll chat, they'll be your best friend. They'll have you over, like Love soon it. You know you'll be sitting in their house, you know, t- talking about life with them. Cause that's how they are. But what, what kind of questions are you asking and what, and what kind of answers are you, are you hearing? Yeah, I love it.
0: And I will tell you to your point about some houses not being like a happy house. I, what the other thing I've loved is like the legacy interview could be with an aunt or with a teacher or like, mm. I think it can come like, you don't, you know, sure. It's great. If it comes from your parents, and if you had that traditional, like wonderful thing, but I also just feel like we all know well enough to know like things don't always fit in the box. So the legacy yeah. can maybe be coming from a next door neighbor that kind of raised you. Like that's still an important mm-hmm. conversation or an adoptive parent that came into your life later, or, you know, there's just a lot of versions of this. And that's why I love that they're called legacy. Cause it's like, a legacy can be left to anybody, and it can be from anybody. Um, oh, I love it's that. Really, the impact that it makes on someone's lives, um, and so, but the questions I ask. So it kind of depends, and I customize it, of course, when I'm talking to these people. Because if it's uh, the other day, I married or I um, spoke to a couple that have been married for 54 years, and they did it together, and so I was like how, you know, what, how did you meet? What was that like? What, you know, and, and then hearing those stories and what was it like, what did you do as newlyweds? And, you know, so having those conversations, which of course, like their family hadn't had those, you know, that's not normally what people right. sit around to talk about, like how did grandma and grandpa meet? Like, I mean a little yeah. bit, but then like, what did you think when you, they got married and what did you do? What did you guys do for fun as newlyweds? And, you know, so we kind of will cover some of that, but then, um, you know, a lot of it will be what, what did you focus on as a parent? What were you trying to instill? What characteristics Mm -hmm. did you see in your kids that stood out to you? Um, Because I, I, and that's been really interesting from my podcast and the legacy interviews to, to hear so many of the, the things that are like, we know, Jesse, you know, Jesse is there. We know Jesse to be this vibrant energy filled person. Well, his mom shared a story that when he was in sixth grade, the teacher came in and said, everybody, we're going to have a spelling test. And he goes, excellent. And I was like, that's Jesse Itzler, like yeah, that's totally him. been <laughs> him, you know. And so, yeah. he, but again, it's like that gift. So when Jesse hears this, he was, he, you know, he talked about how it was kind of emotional for him because he mm-hmm. he heard it from his mom in a different way. So we talk about those kind of things. I also talk about like what was hard and about parenting. What, what did you know? What mm-hmm. did you worry about? Because I think it's also interesting to think some parents were like, I didn't really worry. And I think that's a gift to the next generation, Be like, okay. They didn't mm. worry about me. And then some are like, yeah. I'm worried about, you know, so you just, you're constantly learning from them. Um, and then we always, you know, I always like to go into kind of advice and sometimes it's, what's your advice for your grandkids? What's your advice mm. for any parents that are out there? Um, you know, and it, it it's really interesting because I definitely let the conversation flow because you never know where we're going to go. And oh, yeah, you know, sure. I mean, and i want to let yeah. it ride and let it fly and see how it how it goes because and what's so awesome is for me i'm so curious because um i'm i'm raising kids and i also have parents that uh, you know have been amazing to me and and so it's all very uh, it's a natural place for me to be because i'm i'm so curious and so sometimes yeah. the conversation kind of goes off but those are some of the questions that that we go with and then Um, you know, the questions vary, the the answers vary so much from, right. Oh, I'm sure, you know, from their experiences. Um, But at the end of the day, what's so cool is it's so fun. It is such a fun experience because we're really celebrating that relationship and the life's work that that person put in, you know, and that's fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a little bit, that's what I mean about this new experience that I'm having as an empty nester is it's like, okay, there's, that was my life's work for the last 22 years. And on some sense, you know, it's, it's done, but it's not done. And then I, I, I have this really weird uh, experience where I'll have an interchange with, and maybe just because it's mother daughter, but I'll have this interchange with my daughter. And then an hour later, I'll have a phone call with my mom. And I feel like the pattern in the relationship is very similar and it's like, whoa, this is really weird. You know, the other day I was talking to my daughter and I caught myself in the middle of talking to her. And I'm like, I was kind of nagging her. I'll just be really honest. I was like nagging her. And I, and I said something to her and I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I just sounded like my mom right now. I'm going to need to get off the phone. And then, (laughs) She laughed and then I got off and I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm turning into my mom. And and there was initially sort of a negative, like feeling like I'm turning into my mom. But if you met my mom, you would be like, what an amazing human. Mm -hmm. So what is it that there's, and I hear a lot of people say this, like, do you have any insight of, of why we don't want to turn into our parents many times, even though there were so many gifts that they gave us? Yeah. You know what? I think we always, ha-
0: we, we hold our parents to a different standard than what we hold anybody else to, you know, I mean, from the time we're kids, we're like, you can't make a mistake. You told me to always do it this way. So you can't step out of line, you know? And yeah. so then when we do, or when you see your parents do it, it's like the reaction is just like how, you know, and, or super annoyed or, you know, so I just think we, we hold parents to a, our own parents to a different standard. Cause to your point, Dr. Mindy, I bet your friends love your parents. And I bet you're, oh, oh, everybody loves you know? my parents. They're always like, your parents are so great. I'm like, ish. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's because, you know, but if you, if they weren't your parents, you'd be like, oh no, there's like so awesome. They're yeah. they're you know? And so I think we, I think it's, it's one of those just like human nature things where I think we do hold our family and certain people to a different And Probably the same is true with your kids. Like probably yeah. if, if your child ever stepped out of line, I know this is true for me. If it was, my friend's kid and they did something. I'd be like, Oh, I mean, it's fine. But it was my kid. I'm like, you are never going to do that again. You know, like it's right. this. So I think there's something about being close to home, closer to home. You feel like you're in also you're in a safe place with them. Mm, and, so and true. I think sometimes that's almost like showing, showing that like, th- this is my safe place. This is, and I, I hear that all the time with, cause I've got young kids, like that's their safe place where they can act out. My kids are perfect angels at school. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But like, then why do they do this at home? You know, yes. and that's their safe yes. place. it's where they can just like let go and let loose. And, um, you know, but I think also as we get older, it's important to like, we can, we're in charge of redirecting that narrative so that it's not a negative thing to turn into our mom right. or, you know, right. and I'm, I'm in that same place where I will have that same knee jerk reaction. And I'm like, my mom's happily married. She's got three kids that love her and she's fulfilled and golfs five days a week. And she's retired. Right. Like, I think that's a pretty great place. Would, to be. <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't I want to connect with an amazing woman like yeah, that? Yeah. What's wrong with that? You know? Yeah. So I think, I honestly think I love that you asked that question. Cause I think it's one of those things that for all of us, we could kind of check ourselves and be like, should we maybe not have that knee jerk reaction? And I think it's probably a practice. All of us could probably get better at, but I also think it's supernatural. And, um, you know, I think, I think everybody does it.
1: Yeah. Agreed. And and well said, I remember one time, um, my husband was out of town. My son must have been in elementary school. It's like third grade. And I just had been home with the kids for three days straight. I was exhausted and he was acting up and a friend said, why don't you just drop him off at the house and let, let me, you know, let's, I'll take him off your hands and you can get a little rest. Well, when I picked him up, she was like, oh my God, he was so great. He did this. He did that. And I thought, well, why wasn't he with that way with me? And she said, she turned around and said, well, that's because he feels a hundred percent safe with you. And so he knows you're not going to leave him. So he's going to act in all the ways that he knows to act. Whereas with me, he doesn't know if I'm going to walk out the door. He doesn't know if I'm going to do something that is going to make his afternoon difficult. And I, it, it was a really pivotal moment because I realized with family just in general, I mean, I, I'll say this with siblings, I'll say this with my parents, that I'm having an awareness to be my best self, not my worst self with them. And I think when we get around family, we kind of just get like, blah, here I am. Here's all of me. And you're irritating me. But when you go back and you look at the importance of these relationships on our health and happiness, I feel like we need to to really be conscious to show up as our best self. I could not agree more. I I could
0: not agree more. And I'll tell you, even doing these interviews, I think it's added a little bit of an awareness to the families that all of a sudden you're like, oh, somebody's celebrating that person in our family? Well, they Normally they're not really celebrated all that much. They're like, you know, I mean, they do so much, the matriarch or the patriarch of the family, they, they've done so much. And, and, you know, by the time we're kind of recognizing it, well, they've been 70 years into it. (laughs) Like, you know, for me, it it was really when I had kids, um, that I recognized so much that I had missed in my life, which I think is again, normal, but then I think the responsibility to your point, the responsibility is on us. Once we recognize that. Like, okay, I can show up differently. I can have a different level of respect or understanding or sympathy or like, you know, maybe I don't go right back at them for a comment that they made when, if it were anybody else, I would, I would, you know, have a little bit of grace. I would give a little bit of grace. And it seems like sometimes we don't give our family the the grace that we give so many other people. Um, yeah, but, but highlighting these parents and doing these, whether it's the podcast or legacy interviews, highlighting them has kind of. I've noticed people just kind of are like, oh yeah. And then, then they kind of have a different level of appreciation when they recognize what, what their parent is still capable of doing to this day. You know, I mean, they're, they're still so wise. It's been just such a
1: treat. Yeah. I bet. I mean, it's gotta be really fun to be on your end of the, of the interviewing process. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man. One of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself so of course we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds so i it, this is like a passion project that i'm so excited to share with you and in order to get it all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code ps60 pels so ps 60 and then my last name Pels p-e-l-z to get 20 percent off and you get lifetime access to the program So that's DrMindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. The other thing that I would say is I've heard Jesse say this before, um, because he's got one parent that has Alzheimer's and then he's doing an amazing job taking care of his mom. And I heard him on a, I don't know if it was on an Instagram or somewhere. He mentioned that he calculated how many potential visits he had left with his parents. And he's like, if you see him once a month, and they're going to live another five years, you know, the, you, this is what you have left with them. Mm-hmm. And I, I never thought about that. I mean, again, my dad's 86, my mom's 82. And I never put their like life in perspective of I'm only got a handful of interactions left with them. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it totally changes the way that you approach that relationship. Are you seen as you go through these legacy interviews that the people that have the greatest connection with their aging parents are putting, doing, you know, putting in extra time, uh, creating rituals around their, their connection with them. Like what habits can we form with our aging parents that will strengthen that relationship? So we feel really good and complete when they pass. Such a great question. That whole thing that Jesse, I'm
0: the first time I heard that too, from Jesse, I was like, shook I was like yes oh my gosh when you put but it's true like he didn't it was nothing it was very true it's like you have this many more visits with them um and so so rituals that that was gonna you you took the words out of my mouth that was that is one of the major things I've I've there's a lot of Sunday Sunday meals or this is Always do this, and then for you know, so getting together regularly is something that that a lot of them do. For those that aren't around, they a lot of them have they do trips like we do. We do Mm -hmm. this trip this time, and we always go here for. It's a very um, thoughtful, mindful connection that the family continues to have, and I think Mm -hmm. we all know that it gets life gets busy, life gets crazy. You've got kids. Schedules, you've got school. It's all those things like you were talking before, like your schedule is so all consuming. The families that I have interviewed, it is they're doing life together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether that's a lot of it has been also like, probably the grandparents of the world are going to be like, don't say that, but there've been a lot of caretaking, like the grant there, the kids are with the grandparents, you know, right. the kids are, they're still, they drop them off to go, you know, they spend a lot of time together. Yes. Um, and like I said, even the ones that are apart, they have, I, I mean, I've been on, I can't tell you how many interviews where I'm like, well, we're not together, but we're actually meeting together next week. Like, it's so crazy to me because it's always, it's the time together. The time yeah. together is absolutely one of those things. And I think that can happen, you know, with a weekly dinner that can happen with little babysitting moments here and there that can happen with trips. I think it depends on, of course, the the dynamic of the family. Um, but that time together is key. And then I honestly think, you know, th- It comes with the level of respect that you have for those relationships. So you have to prioritize the relationship and the relationships I have seen have all been prioritized. The, the mother and the child, the father and the daughter, the father, you know, like the parent and the child relationship has been a priority, even when the child becomes a mother that's still a relationship that is prioritized. The grandparents prioritize their relationship with the grandchildren. And, and also what's happening is the grandchildren are seeing the priorities of their parents and their grandparents. And then that's continuing on for generations. So when there's an 80 year study and you think what's been passed down, well, the thing that can like those relationships, that's, what's been passed down the connection between the different generations. And, uh, that's, that's been a key for, for every interview.
1: I feel like I'd love for you. I'd love to like have this conversation like three years from now, after you've done like a whole nother set of interviews, but I'm curious if different cultures prioritize aging parents different. Um, I would say, I feel like in our family, both sets of parents were really intimately involved when the kids were little and a part of their lives. And then there's sort of becomes this moment where you don't need them to babysit anymore. You don't need them to like help you out. And so the, it, it shifts. And so you have to come up with new ways to connect with them, new ways to pull information out of them. Do you think our culture—and I, I have a worldwide audience—but I'm just going to say, do you think here in America we don't prioritize the wisdom of aging parents enough? Um, I I, pro- I would say
0: my knee jerk reaction would be that's probably fair, but I would say my experience is that's not the case. So the the, mm. the relationships that I have, but I, but keep in mind, I'm seeking out parents or I'm seeking out interviews with people that their child is like the goal you know? And so I haven't been. And and so I think the thread is that maybe that we, they are honoring their parents and that's a part Mm -hmm. of why they, they, their children become fulfilled and happy adults. Those are the people I'm targeting. And that's what I have seen time and time again, across all different, um, backgrounds and cultures. I, you know, I, I interviewed, uh, Ramit Sethi. He's a, he's a well-known, um, financial advisor on Instagram and he's got books and he's awesome. His mom, had uh was in an arranged, isn't in an arranged marriage and they've been married oh, for wow. 50 years or whatever yeah and it was one of my favorite interviews because i was like they started as an arranged marriage and then they yeah. came over to, from india like she met him and then they got married like it was it was unbelievable and it was you know their relationship it was it was still prioritizing the relationship and how they raise their kids and and the respect that their children have for them to this day was similar to what I've seen Jesse's respect for his mom and Sarah and, you know, your respect for your mom. So, so I think part of it is that is the answer. That is the key. That is what is so powerful. I don't know that I would say across the board that we do that, you know, better than another culture. So I, like I have got some more work to do to to be able to pinpoint that, but I would say, I see it in all the interviews that I've had is that there is that honoring of the parents, I think honestly, the legacy interview highlights it even more because no one really is asking these questions or putting the spotlight on the parent, which everybody can, like, you can take these questions I've thrown out and go and sit down and record this conversation for your parent. Um, But, but I have seen that when there is that respect for the parent and for who they are and what they've done, the outcomes are wonderful.
1: Yeah. Amazing. You know, and, and that when you respect something, you prioritize it. Exactly
0: whether and, it's and your you health have, or your business yeah. or your family. I mean it's that, it's absolutely right. your intention of what where are you putting your energy, your focus, your love, your care.
1: Yeah. yeah. I ha- I had a fun experience. So we've done the Sunday night thing forever and the the general rule the way I was raised was Sunday night dinner was the time for the family. You had to be there unless you were out of town, um, and your friends could come. You just couldn't go to another house. Like you needed to be home with the family on Sunday night. We played cards. We did things like that. So we reproduced that in our family. And uh, you know, whoever's listening, if you don't do Sunday night dinner with like the family, I highly recommend it. It is such an anchor for the family. Well, so my kids have really interacted with my parents um, quite a bit. And the other night we were celebrating my daughter's twenty second birthday, and we were out to. Dinner dinner and my son is a freshman in college. So he decides to come. We're like, will you come? You know, it's like all exciting that he's going to like actually leave his dorm room and come out with us. So he comes out and there's this sweet moment where I look over and my 86 year old dad is like leaned in and I can see my son telling him a story. And I caught, I caught it on camera. I actually put it up on my Instagram because I know exactly what the conversation was. My dad, honestly, he wanted to know what it was like to be a 19-year-old frat boy college guy and my son was telling him and the joy in both of their faces I had to capture it on camera I I was like that I mean nobody my dad was living vicariously through my son which mm-hmm. was just just mind blowing And what is more powerful than that?
0: Like that the the human connection, the memories that your son will have from that, you know, the joy that it's bringing your dad in the moment and the fun. And then who knows what he can say to your son then as a way to relate or not relate or, you know, I mean, it's just, to me, it's those moments being able to be like, that's what it's all about. That's it. Like that is, that is the purpose of life, you know, I mean, and, and, and honestly, to your point, like with the Sunday dinners, like you prioritize that relationship for your son and for your dad by, by continuing that. And that was a conscious decision that you made to say, we're going to keep doing this because I'm pretty sure you're a busy lady. Your family's busy. You probably didn't feel like let's add an ad. I mean, you could have very easily not done that and nobody would have faulted you, but your priority was the people and the relationships in yeah. the life. And then you're, you're giving that gift to your kids, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and frankly, the truth is, is you're giving that as a gift to your later self.
1: Yeah, I was just You're like, going to reap the benefits of that yeah. down the road,
0: you know, that you're they're mo-
1: going to care about that. Oh my God. I just thought of that. You're right. You're modeling for your kids. This is how I want you to take care of me at 80 years old. I never even thought about that. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> What, what have you noticed about conflict? Because the other thing is, you know, I always laugh. My sister is two years older than me. And there are moments when like the four of us will get together and we just go right back <laughs> into my sister and I go back into our teenage selves. Like everybody operates in these weird places in the family. What have you seen as far as either from talking to the parents of successful people or the legacy interviews, how are people handling conflict and not letting it get in the, in the way of the relationship?
0: Well, I'd say it's in every one of the relationships and that it's, it's a part of life. And so, you know, I am there, i really am highlighting the great parts, but it yes. inevitably comes up in every one like, The hard times, the challenging times when the kids were fighting, when they were punching each other in the backseat, like how, you know, like, or, or when there were drug issues and, and, or somebody Mm. gets in jail or whatever. And it's interesting because what the tone of the, the parent that who is, you know, later in life, a lot of times it's like, yeah. And then you, you know, you love them through it and you get through it. And it's never this heavy moment from the parent. Mm. Which mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because I, t- I take that perspective because I think when you're in it, like where I am in my life with a three or a five, seven, and nine-year-old, I'm so in it that sometimes yeah. that those bad moments feel really heavy. Yeah, what yeah. helped me is seeing these interviews. And of course, you know, when you're out of it and it's, a, it's a retrospective look, you can be lighter with it, but no one has been like, I wish I would have been harder. I wish I would have made everything more intense and more serious and heavier and harder. And I wish I would have been harder on my kids. No one has ever said that. Yeah. And those are kind of, that's kind of how I've metabolized the, the conflict conversation is, you know, everybody talks about moving through it in their own way. You know, they don't quite say it that way, but they all kind of were like, you know, and then they grew out of it or, and then we talked about it and, you know, and, and sometimes the parents, many of the parents have been like, you know, I had expectations and they didn't meet them. And so there was a consequence, you know, and it's a very, just kind of matter of fact, but it's just moving through it. And yeah. You know, and, and that's, uh, that's helped me to be honest, when I'm in those moments where it feels heavy that I just remind myself, you know, no, we're, we're going to move through it. And this is for parents that have had kids struggling with drugs or struggling with grades or struggling with, you know, those kinds of things, not small things, but no one, no one really feels like they wish they would have carried it heavier. If that makes sense, they all kind of just feel like they move through it and they continue to love. And in some of them has still, you know, some of them have still had some issues here and there because we're human and, you know, not everybody you know, the greatest decisions aren't always made, but everyone just continues to love, love their kids through it and, um, and move through it. I would say keeping kind of that momentum going forward and knowing you can't get stuck in those hard moments. That's what I see from the, from the different interviews.
1: I, um, I will tell you one of the biggest struggles I have had as a parent is, uh, you look at a snapshot of where you are or that your child is in time. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like it, you're like, Oh my God, if you don't get this under control, then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. And as they get older, I really am a big believer in small kids, small problems, big kids, big problems. Yes. Like, and, and the big problems are scary, like crazy scary. Mm-hmm. And then you have to like remind yourself that like, it's just a phase. But I think actually the older you, that my kids get, the, the harder, the more detached I need to become because I future trip, if they don't get this under control right now, what's going to happen five years from now? Yeah. Whereas when they're five, you're like, well, I still have time to like mold them. But when yeah. they're out of the house, that's a lot harder. Yeah. So, did you see, have you seen any patterns where parenting shifts as the kids get older? Uh, have you noticed that at all? Yeah,
0: definitely. And that's actually a, it's a, a question I end up usually asking at some point, like how did, you know, when did that relationship shift or how did that shift? And a lot of times it, the common answer is usually like marriage. You know, when your child mm-hmm. gets married, there's this kind of shift where you're like, Oh yeah, okay, I am not your number. I am not your go-to anymore. You, yeah. I need to cleave totally like this, yeah. this cannot be my thing. And I don't think, I think now I know as a mom, I'm like, I mean, you can say that and you need you need to step back, but our headspace many times will still be thinking all those things. Um, but you need to give the, you know, what the, one of the moms was talking about was like, she needed to figure out that space for herself and with her spouse. And, and I needed, you know, we were best friends and we are, but it's different and needed to be different. right? And, you know, and so that's been one of those things. And many of the parents though, it's, it's amazing because they never, you know, the parenting hat never goes off. You know, no. At, at no point does it go off. It kind of adjusts a little bit and, and marriage, it, that was the one that would come up. You know, that was really when the shift happened for many of them, but it was hard. And, and many of them talked about that. Like yeah, that yeah. was a hard time for parents when they have to change that relationship. I mean, I can't imagine it. And, and so many times when I'm talking to them, I'm like, I got to come back later because I can't imagine how that feels when somebody that's known your child for three years comes in and becomes the most important like what, right. You know, like logically I just can't get there. How does that kind of feel, you know? Um, but it's like everything else in parenting, you just love your way through it. Like you, you just kind of keep moving through it. And you know, that you, you know, I, I, a lot of times I will like to think about what's the alternative. Do you, Mm. you know, like, what if you don't give them that space and let them have that, then what happens if you remain in that place and that parenting role and, and, um, it's not healthy then for your child as they go, you know, they need to be able to stand on their two feet. And, and, um, and then, and then I have also heard from many of them, then a new relationship blossoms. I never expected. I didn't see this coming. It's a different type of friendship more than this motherhood role. It's a little bit more of a friendship. And then many of them have said, and then they have kids and they come to me, like I'm, the most brilliant human being ever because yeah. I've done all this, you know, yeah. and and that's actually the relationship I have with my mom, where I, when I had kids, she was like, I've never been as smart as I was. Once you had kids, then I became the smartest person you've ever met in your life. And I was like, "Oh yeah, You're right. You're right. Yeah. I didn't get it until I had kids. And then I'm like, tell me everything. What did you do? You're the best. Oh, I've,
1: <laughs> I've heard that from so many, some, so many parents that when their child has a child, they're like, Oh my gosh. Now that child fully understands what's going on. We we're having that experience in our own home. Um, especially with our oldest and my husband and I do this thing where we're like, what's happening? Like, who is this person? But we, we, we love what she's blossoming into. It's just where there might've been conflict before she's now reacting to us differently. And we're like, wow, well, that was really nice. Like, We're not gonna argue about this. This is amazing. So it I do like this idea of it morphing and changing. And I again I wanna like bring you back in a couple of years. I want you to keep, I know you you're like a serial entrepreneur, and I want you to keep doing all of this because I'm also curious how the different generations respond to their families differently. For example, one of the more like uh aha moments I've had interviewing people on this podcast was with an integrative cancer doc. And when I asked her, she has a beautiful clinic down in Southern California. When I asked her what she thought was the, or what she felt was the fastest growing population of people getting cancer, she said the younger generation. And I said, why? And she goes, because they were not given the opportunity to create resilience on their own and solve their own problem. They have been raised with cell phones in their hand that they can connect with mom and dad very quickly. They have they can go on social media and connect to friends very quickly so they don't they weren't given the resilience. So when stress hits them, they actually are ill equipped. So she's like, I, and it was, she said specifically 20 year olds. I have 20 year olds pouring in to my clinic now with cancer because they don't, they never created resilience. That's
0: unbelievable.
1: That's, isn't that that crazy? Is, uh, yeah,
0: that's really crazy. As you explain it, I'm like, that makes sense. They didn't ever have to like, be like, my mom isn't here. I need to find a payphone. I need to find a quarter. I need to fit right. like all those things that. Even just like my, my generation, I mean, I did to, to figure those things out. That's really, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not surprised by it. And, and I would say I have interviewed, I have interviewed a mom who has younger kids. Now she has, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer and, um, she has, you know, was given less than 1% chance to live for five years. And I interviewed her and she had just passed her five years and I just texted with her last night and she's doing that. It's been, you know, another year. Past yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, but most of the parents I've been interviewed, their parent, their kids are older. So it would be interesting to see like that next generation, you know, I think the youngest is, is that mom who, but you know, they've obviously her kids have developed a different type of resiliency because of what their family's going through.
1: Um, but but, what that's a whole nother, oh my gosh, that's a whole nother skill set that I don't know if your heart can take it, but interviewing people with terminal. So that's actually. We were talking before, like we kind of just build it on the
0: fly. So one of the things I want to do is create a, um, a philanthropic arm of this, where I do talk to the moms, moms with terminal diagnosis of some sort to capture those feelings that, you know, before it's like, I'm on my deathbed, you know, before it's like the last moments, but like, let's just talk about like, what did you think as you're raising your kids? So that, so this mom specifically that interviewed her kids at the time, she had one in high school and one in middle school. And I got to talk about like, what did you think about all these questions? What did you think about as you're raising your kids? How did you feel as a parent? Like, so that someday her sons are going to want to hear her having those conversations and hopefully they hear it from her and, and everything works out. But even still just to kind of feel like that mom or that parent can capture some of those feelings and emotions that you can only get direct from your mom or your yeah. dad, you know? Amazing. So that's, a, that's another thing that I want to want to pursue because, um, I, I know that if it were me, I would want to make sure that there's some messages that I can have on tap for my kids,
1: you know, yeah. um,
0: you know, and, and see how that yeah plays out. Well,
1: I can't wait. I can't wait to see where this goes for you. And, um, I I so resonate with when you I do the same thing when I have a passion about something I just want to jump into it and I'll build it along the way. So I I'm, <laughs> I'm going to keep fueling you with more information. Um and I uh, largely because I feel like connection is so important and if there's anything we learned from the pandemic that lack of connection really ate people up emotionally. Um, I mean, I remember one day my parents came over when in 2021. So, you know, we'd kind of been out of the thick of the pandemic. And my dad just said to me, you know, we're lonely. Like we don't have our friend group has split apart. People are arguing over who they should go visit and he it was a really sad moment and he said i think our best friends right now are you and your and my husband and it was a very sweet moment, but then it also reminded me the responsibility I have as a child of older parents in this day and age. Yeah. So I'm going to just keep encouraging you to keep doing what you're doing, whether you have time to do it or not. I know. No, I love it. Well, I definitely
0: want to interview your family, all of all of them. And I want to interview you for my podcast because you've oh, you. raised amazing. So I'm like, I feel like we're leaving this conversation with many interviews ahead of us. Yes. Um, <laughs>
1: For sure. For sure. Well, so my next book, so the, I, the book that will come out at the end of this year is fast, like a girl. It's a fasting manual for women. Mm -hmm. The next book I want to do, and I'm actually currently researching it. I don't know how it'll unfold. I want to do something on the neuroscience of community and connection. Mm -hmm. When you go and you look at like nature, for example, like trees, like the roots of trees intertwine underneath the ground and Mm -hmm. the trees actually will give extra um, uh, energy to a tree next to it that might be dying. Mm -hmm. And there's so many examples of connection and how it makes us thrive Yet to the beginning of this con- this conversation, I feel like we are not prioritizing family. We are not try- prioritizing it, the, this kind of experience where we're c- talking to people from a heart to heart connection. We put those aside as they're frivolous, and I'll do them after I work. I'll do it after I, you know, go to the gym. And they should be at the forefront of everybody's healthy lifestyle. So I,
0: I couldn't agree more. I ha- I was on a, a podcast talking about marriage. And he was talking about, I was reading this thing and and it was about, it was an article that somebody had written about me. And at the end of it was talking about my, my marriage. And he was like, I just feel like it should be the first thing. And I'm like, yes. I agree. You know, like yeah. when you hear about people, the first thing should be like the people in their life that, that, because we, that's the power, that's the source of energy. That's, and, and back to the study that you, this so brilliantly started this interview off with, because it goes back to the relationships and the people and the those closest to you it doesn't have to be all the people, but the people that are, are your people, you know, your people that are close to you. and those relationships are so powerful. And, um, yeah. And I, 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 love having an opportunity to, to highlight those people for the other people in that, in the relationship, you know, because yeah. it's, it's just, it's not something that is done a, a whole lot. And, and honestly, it's holding space for the people it's holding space for right. people to be able to say, let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you've done and how you've done it and what impact it's had. And that's just a special, a special thing to do. And we can all do it. I think that's the other thing that I've recognized is everybody's capable of, of connecting with those members of your family and asking those questions. And what do people love to do? People like to talk about themselves.
1: Yes. they they Like to talk about the
0: things they've done. And especially as you get older, Fewer and fewer people are asking them questions. Fewer and fewer people are seeking their insight. It's all there though. It's all there. And um, you know, so I, I would say one of the things I would love is for the people listening to do it for them for their family. You know, do right. it do it. You can do this. You can you can start having Sunday dinners. Yeah. You know, call it yeah. the Pelts dinners on Sunday. Right. There we go. You know, yeah. <laughs> you. And and then, and then when you're sitting at that table, don't just talk about what you're doing at work, ask ask questions about your, the legacy that is your family that has, that has come from those members of the family. Um, and then you're also setting yourself up for a great future because your kids are seeing the importance of family. So, yeah. It's all- I,
1: I just love this conversation. Thank you for having it with me. It's it's so funny. It's a total different direction uh, than we have done in the podcast. But as I was researching the, the for the Fast Like a Girl, I found that study on community because the one thing that's baffled my brain for a long time is why we do health in a silo. You know, we should do health as a community together. And then when I started to think about that, I started to think more deeply about like, well where are those relationships in your life that make you healthier mm-hmm. and if they're making you healthier you should be prioritizing them. Mm-hmm. So I just I hope yeah. people gathered that from this conversation. So thanks mm-hmm. and I, okay I have two questions for you. This uh so this is the third season of the Resetter podcast and each season we kind of have a different theme. So this year it is uh gratitude and really helping us all remember that To highlight what we're grateful for, not to look at the things that aren't working. So two questions. Do you have a a gratitude practice? And if so, what is it? And what is something you're really grateful for in this day and age? Because it's very easy right now to look at all the things that are going wrong in the world. What's going right that you're grateful for? I
0: love it. I love it. Um, So I do have a gratitude practice, and that is I send out 365 cards a year. So I send out handwritten notes, um, one, I mean, it's technically one a day, but I usually batch them and I, it is my gratitude journal that I put out into the world. Um, I do it to encourage people, to thank people, to let them know I'm thinking of them if they went through a hard time and I have found it to be really impactful for myself, which I didn't Mm -hmm. see coming. Um, but when I'm ticked off about something. I'm like, I'm going to go write some notes. And then you get out of yourself and you start to think Mm -hmm. about other people and you start to think about their needs, their wants, what you can celebrate. So, um, so that is my, I've done it for, I actually started it because of Jesse and BYLR trying to do something, you know, that was a new habit I wanted to do. And I was like, you know what? I needed to do it, but I didn't want to do like 10 in a month. I wanted to make it So it kind of felt like a bigger thing. And so I've done it for, um, it'll be two years this, this summer, uh, that I've done it and I absolutely love it. And it's a joy for me. And then, yeah, that's, so that's my gratitude practice. I love it. Yeah. And then, um, thank you. And, and the thing that I am grateful for right now in this moment would be, um, I mean, I, I feel so grateful for the relationships in my life. I I love my husband like crazy. And I, I feel like it's such an honor to raise human beings. And Mm -hmm. so as a mom, that is such a gift to think that I get to be responsible for these people and help them navigate life and celebrate who they are. And and so, you know, in, in, on the heels of this conversation, it's the relationships that I have in my life, specifically my husband, my kiddos Uh, it's, it's such a gift. And You know, it's I not always it. easy or perfect, but it's certainly a gift in my life that I'm grateful for. You know,
1: I have a new thought based off of this conversation. I think when I meet somebody new from this point forward, I'm going to go straight instead of like, Oh, what do you do? Or where do you live? I think I'm going to ask, tell me about the five closest people to you. What are those people Ooh, like? Yes. I love Wouldn't it. That'd be neat. It's kind of like, have you ever gone into somebody's house and you look at their books because their books kind of yeah. tell you what they're thinking about. Yes. Yeah. I yes. think we should start asking about the closest relationships and that'll give you a really deep insight into the person yeah, while it's also putting
0: relationships on a pedestal versus like your job. Like, I don't, you know, I mean, that's always the go-to and it's like, what does that really tell you about somebody? Right. I don't know. You know, I love that. No. I like that. That's yeah. a great idea.
1: Yeah, well, Megan, this is awesome. How do people find you? I, you know, we were laughing just for the you guys listening. We're laughing because this legacy interview is a new, a new skill or a new venture you're on that Jesse really put you into, but such a needed one. So, we're now going to say that you are launching legacy interviews. Yes. <laughs> how do people, yes, and and your podcast. How do people find you? Your podcast. Yes. Uh, so people can go stalk you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So, um, I am, my podcast is at, on Instagram. If you go at who is your mama pod, that is me. It's M O M M A. It's always funny to like all the ways people spell mama. Um, but I'm actually yep. relaunching it, which is very exciting. Yep. So, um, so it will be available when people listen to this and my podcast will be on all the, all the normal platforms. Um, so that's exciting. And then I'm very active on LinkedIn. My business side of me comes mm-hmm. out on LinkedIn. So Megan L Riley on LinkedIn there, and then who is your is where people can find out more about the interviews. And that's where people can get their own legacy interview scheduled. Um, Right there on the Who Is Your Mama nice. Who Is Your Mama podcast, or Who
1: Is Your mama Ooh, It was it was announced on the Resetter podcast. Boom! It's true. It's- <laughs> I guess it's happening. It's Dr.
0: Mindy said it was going to happen. Here it is. Legacy interviews coming to you today. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. I love bringing thoughtful discussions about all things health to you. If you enjoyed it, we'd love to know about it. So please leave us a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what your biggest takeaway is.